Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? Doing okay? Thank you for being here. Can you help me uh, say hello to those that are worshiping with us on our live stream this morning? Thanks, you guys, for joining us. Uh, Glad that you can do that. Last week, we kicked off a series called Crushed, and I want to share with you a little bit of the heart behind this series. Uh, The whole idea behind this is that how do we respond to those moments of life's biggest challenges, those seasons of life where we feel crushed, where we've gone through challenges and difficulties when life doesn't go the way that we wish that it would? How do we process that? And that can look lots of different ways uh, during the course of our lifetime. How do we then understand God in the middle of some of those most challenging seasons uh, when life has felt like it has crushed us? And do those seasons mean that there's something wrong with me? Do, do they mean that I've uh, done something wrong? And last week, a good friend of mine uh, and a good friend of Plum Creek, Chad Brueggemann, spoke uh, to kick this series off, and he did an, an incredible job. If you missed it, I encourage you to hop online and listen to that. You need to know, and then you need to be reminded, and then you need to be reminded again that those moments of life when we feel crushed don't mean that God has abandoned us or that God is punishing us. So I was trying to think about where, how to kind of uh, lead into what we're going to be talking about today, because this message is one that's been brewing for several months now, <clears throat> and uh, I'm very excited about it. But let me just start by asking this question. Did you ever, in junior high perhaps, or high school, take an art class? Just raise your hand. Did you take an art class? Yeah. I did too. And, uh, you know, inevitably one of those assignments that's going to come out of Uh, The art class is on that kind of paper. I don't know what you call it. It's a little fuzzy, though. You know what I'm talking about that you would draw on? It's just a little different texture. And if you were given the assignment uh, in your first art class to take a pencil and to do a drawing, how many of you realized relatively quickly that uh, you're not so good, not so good at that drawing? Now, some of you, my mother-in-law is here. She's an amazing artist. Uh, But not everybody can do that. Not everybody can draw that way. And inevitably, what happens once you've seen clearly that this doesn't look like that, you get that orange or or pink eraser out, right? And then you start erasing. But that paper is unique, that it never completely goes away, does it? There's this kind of ghost image, so to speak, on the paper, and, and it's clearly... Still not a good drawing, but it's just kind of there. And it never, you can start to draw again, but really what you wish you could do is just start over, right? I had a friend help me uh, kind of illustrate that this week for you so you can kind of see this image. And I think so often when you were drawing and you made a mistake, you would try and erase it. And, and uh, I think it's a perfect metaphor for life. I think this is a perfect metaphor of life, because I would venture to guess, if you're like me, um, your life is filled with some ghost lines, some some shadow images. Uh, In most days, when I glance at the portrait of my life, I, I don't really see them. But sometimes, when I'm forced to step in a little closer, or perhaps when something triggers a memory, many of these memories, even though, even though redeemed through Christ's work in my life, still reveal these ghost lines that are scratched into the canvas of who I am. And truth be told, the closer we look and the more we focus on those ghost images, those ghost lines, the clearer they become. And perhaps it could be a time when you were rejected by friends or losses that you've experienced, sins that you've committed, 
Perhaps people that you've hurt, dreams that have been dashed or wrong paths that you've taken, even, even intentionally taken. And today what I want to talk about are those times when we know that we've blown it. Those times when we've made a mess of our own life. Where oftentimes we can feel this sense of crushing that we've been talking about during this series. And, and if we're honest, sometimes those seasons are our own fault. Because we've made decisions. And sometimes if, if we allow them to, those things can paralyze us. They can cause us to feel like they disqualify us from God. And not only do we feel crushed personally, if we're not careful, we can get to the point where, those feel, uh, the, where we feel as though those mistakes have defined us. Or worse yet, we can feel that, that our mistakes prevent us or disqualify us from experiencing a relationship and favor in God's eyes. And I promise you, listen, I promise you this is exactly what the enemy of our souls wants us to feel. But God sees it different. That's not God's plan. Let me read to you what the psalmist said in Psalm 103, looking at verse 11 and 12. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Now look at verse 12. This is for someone here today. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Amen. So this week, my main thought is this. God's forgiveness confirms his redemptive plan. God's forgiveness confirms his redemptive plan. As far as God is concerned, our past is gone. Once we've made things right with him, he says it's gone as far as the east is from the west. But if we're honest with each other today, although it's helpful to understand the theology of that, and it's helpful to understand the heart of God with that, all too often the real challenge is how we see it, how it works its way into our life. And that's where the problems really start. And all too often we feel crushed by our past. And Paul tells us that we're supposed to do this different. This is what Paul says. Philippians chapter 3, he says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Listen. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to, eat, to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And we read that and we're like, wow, Paul, that's awesome. Incredible that you are able to, to write that and, and to do that. And the reality is, if you're like me, it's easier said and read than it is done. But we need to remember today that God's forgiveness confirms his redemptive plan. And so here's where I want to go today. I want to share with you a story. A story this weekend from the early days of God's interactions with the nation of Israel. And we're going to pick up the story as God is laying out his plan, his redemptive plan for the Israelites to be freed from captivity in Egypt. And you might remember God chooses this unlikely guy named Moses to be his, to be his leader, to, to go back and to talk to the Pharaoh and, and to, to negotiate the release of the nation of Israel from, from their captivity there. And, and Moses, when you read the story, seems like, a highly unlikely candidate. And not only does it seem like that to us when you read the story, uh, it also seemed like that to him. And so although God shows up in this amazing supernatural way and begins to lay out his redemptive plan and how Moses fits into that, imagine this, this is crazy. Moses tries to negotiate with God. 
That just seems crazy, doesn't it? Until you look at your life and my life and you realize, man, we do the same thing. And Moses is trying to make all these different excuses for and help God see clearer why he shouldn't be the one that God would choose to uh, lead the nation of Israel out. And, and finally, he gets down to the last one that he's got. And he's like, look, God, here's the deal. I, I don't know why you're choosing me. And I'm just not a good communicator. And the Lord's like, gosh, Moses, I chose you because I chose you. We got this all figured out. And he's like, but really, I'm telling you, I'm slow to speech. I can't make my thoughts words. And you want me to go talk to this Pharaoh. And it's just, it's just a bad idea. Ever been there? And he's like, fine. Just so you know, right now, your brother Aaron is on his way to come and see you. Aaron, you know Aaron. He's your brother. He talks a lot. Yeah. He's like, so here's the deal. I will speak to you, Moses. You tell Aaron what to say, and Aaron will be the voice. Seems like a plan. Well, amazingly enough, God's plan works. Imagine that. And now they're free from captivity, but they haven't arrived in the land that God had given them. And as a matter of fact, they're now camping as a nation together. And we read that in Scripture, and you forget this. There's upwards to two million of them at base camp of Mount Sinai. You want to go camping with two million people? This is a crazy scene. Just think about it in your mind. <clears throat> and in Genesis chapter 20, see then Moses goes up on this mountain and the Lord begins to speak to him. And, and one of the things that the Lord communicates to him are what we know as the Ten Commandments. And in this communication, uh, and we've talked about these things over the years here at Plum Creek, these Ten Commandments. And, and I just want to remind you, because it's important in context of the story that we're going to look at today, <clears throat> of the first two. Anybody remember the first two? Let me remind you. Close your eye. Thumb up. What is it? No other gods before me. For you, those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, I taught everybody a way to remember the Ten Commandments uh, in order. <clears throat> so no other gods before you. I'll teach you some other time. And then we point this finger up in the air. Do you remember what that one is? No idols, right? Seems simple. Seems simple except for when you realize the nation of Israel had just spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt where they worship lots of gods and have lots of idols, and part of the reason that God said that was because of these things. And now I've got to show you something, this crazy and almost unimaginable part of the story. <clears throat> We're going to fast forward as the Lord is laying out all of these details of, of how the nation of Israel will now uh, interact with one another and, and the way that they will interact in their relationship with God. And there's several chapters, of, uh, and you can read that in Exodus, uh, from Exodus 19 on through what we're looking at today. I would encourage you to read it. Uh, and then uh, he gets to uh, this, this passage, Exodus 24, 12. And so the Lord said to Moses, come up, uh, come up to me on the mountain, stay there, and I will give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and the commands so that you can teach the people. You have to see this, jump down to verse 15. I want you to just really clearly see this image. I'm praying you'll see the image in your mind. Then Moses climbed up the mountain and the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai, and the, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from inside that cloud to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain. Look at this picture. The glory of the Lord appeared at the summit like a consuming fire. Don't you want to see that? Then Moses disappeared into the cloud, and, and as he climbed higher up into the mountain, and then he, look at this, he, he remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Somebody say 40. I want you to remember that. 
And as it continues, there's more uh, things that the Lord is communicating. Now I want to jump down to Exodus 28, verse 1. This is a critically important um, verse for what we're talking about today. As the Lord is interacting with Moses, he makes a selection to be his high priest. He says this in Exodus 28, 1. Call for your brother Aaron and his sons, uh, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, And set them apart from the rest of the people of Israel so that they may minister to me and be my priests. I need you to see that this is a divine selection of leadership now in terms of the spiritual leadership of the nation of Israel. And now we're going to jump down to chapter 32. So I really encourage you to go back and read it. I don't have time to read it all, but Exodus 32, we're going to look at verse 1. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, someone say 40 days, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow. I love the way the New Living Translation says that. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So these people began to persuade Aaron. Now I want to remind you, who's Aaron? Moses' brother. And who also is Aaron? God's choice to be the high priest. Got to see it. And they come to him and they persuade Aaron to make them an idol, a golden calf to worship. And he does what they ask. Verse 6. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And the choice of this idol, friends, was no accident. It was Uh, a symbol of uh, virility and strength associated with a Canaanite god. And so there's this this celebration of sorts. There's this crafting of this golden image, this calf, as the people are frustrated because they had to wait 40 days for Moses to come back down. Obviously, they see the mountains still doing, you know, smoke and mirrors, right? But it's not enough. You see, they're, they're anxious, and they want to worship something they want They want this idol. And now we go back to the scene in Exodus chapter 32. And uh, Moses is up in this moment with God on top of this mountain. And then the Lord told Moses in verse 7, Quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned uh, turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. And now look at this. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Everybody just go, oh, no, no. Isn't that crazy how these things go down? (laughs) Clearly, the golden image that they just brought out of that fire didn't bring him anywhere. He didn't exist Something else is clearly happening on top of this mountain, but the people are heading the wrong direction. So look at verse 15. Then Moses turned down and he went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. Joshua, who was with him, when Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, it sounds like war in the camp. But Moses replied, no, it's not a shout of victory, nor the wailing of defeat. I hear a sound, the sound of a celebration. 
Verse 19, when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it, and he ground it into powder, and he threw it into the water, and he forced the people to drink it. Look at verse 21. And finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? The story is clear. It's a clear-cut and simple uh, illustration of the fear of the mob. And I don't know how this happened. Maybe it was a temporary loss of faith himself or for whatever reason, Aaron completely gives in to this crowd and does what they're asking and, and, and makes this golden calf for them to worship. He himself was guilty and not just a little bit guilty. As you and I know, it's even worse when we're guilty and it's publicly known. He has publicly led these people into a grave sin. But here's where I want to transition with you today. Here's what I also see. God never wastes our pain or our mistakes. Listen, only we do. You see, we're the ones that waste our pain and our mistakes, not God. Our God is a redemptive God. And the most incredible thing about him is regardless of what we've gone through, his redemptive plan is real. And he has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He has a purpose for you. When he sees you, he knows what that purpose is. And you see that, that plan and that purpose is not despite our past. Listen but because of it. Because our redemptive God wants to use our stories. He wants to use our lives. And this public disgrace of worshiping this golden calf, I need to remind you, takes place, if you're taking notes, write this down, in chapter 32. Can I remind you what happened in chapter 28? Which, in case you're really bad at math, is before 32. Do you remember what happened? Call for your brother Aaron. Set him apart from the rest of the people of Israel so they may minister to me and be my priests. <laughs> Here's what's interesting to me. Do you think that's not part of the reason why when Moses came down onto the mountain and saw all he saw, he threw the tablets down on the ground? Think about it for a second. He knows what God's been saying. He's the one meeting with him up there 40 days, right? God's laying out all kinds of new rules. Remember the rule? No other gods and no idols. What do the people got? Gods and idols, right? And he's like, no, I told you I didn't want to lead these people, right? And then at the same time, he's thinking, my brother is a mess. Why in the world up on that mountain, God, did you say Aaron would be the high priest? This doesn't seem, kaboom, because he's trying to figure this God out too, Right? He's trying to understand what this is all about and he's had interactions with him and he's seen the miraculous that God has done and in this moment, just like moments that you and I have, we're like, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're doing. 
I don't understand why you've called me to lead these people. They're all screw-ups. And why in the world would you ever choose my brother Aaron? I grew up with that guy. He might talk good, but he's just not right. Don't you think? This is part of the reason why the tablets get crashed down. He knew that God had handpicked Aaron to be God's chosen, to be the doggone high priest. And it seems to me, and maybe now to you, and most likely very clearly to Moses as well, that God had completely missed on this one. Aaron seems like the complete wrong choice for this critically important job of interacting with God for this nation. And while each of us, you and me, have different blessings and struggles that are unique to each of us in this room, And we know that every person carries baggage with them to some degree because of the things that we've done in our life and the experiences that we've had, a trail of missed opportunities and wrong decisions that have had devastating consequences, perhaps victimization in one form or another, for sure the many horrors that we realize and see are a direct result of our decisions and our own sin. And yet for those of us who have received the gospel and are completely forgiven, have uh, understood the the, the complete nature of God's redemptive hand, and we know that scriptures tell us that we have a new nature in Christ, what then? How then do we deal with this when our ghosted pasts seem so overwhelming? Even though we know from a theological perspective that they have been erased, they seem to still emerge from the canvas of our life and they haunt us. And and, uh, that's, that's even for most of us who realize that what we've done isn't nearly as public as what Aaron did. And then Paul comes on the scene in 2 Corinthians 5.15 to help us with this voice of understanding a riddled past changed forever by God and says, this means that anyone, listen to these words, anyone. Raise your hand if you're anyone. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So can I share with you what I really think? Can I share with you what I believe was happening here that sometimes when you're in the heat of the battle is hard to recognize? God picked the perfect person to be the first priest for the nation of Israel. Do you know why? Because he was a screw up to everybody. Everybody knew what he had done. Everybody, when they saw Aaron, would be reminded of what he did and feel very comfortable to talk with him about the stuff that they had done wrong because the guy gets wrong. He did it in front of everybody. And then they also would know that Aaron could never look down on them for what they had done because they knew what he had done. Oh, but even greater than that, 
when they would come, Aaron would be the kind of person with such great confidence inside of him that would rise up and say, it doesn't matter because my mess he fixed and your mess he will fix too. You see, that's an incredible choice for a high priest. Aaron, Aaron, the perfect choice, maybe, just maybe today, we need to be reminded that God really does know what he's doing. Let me say this again. God's forgiveness confirms his redemptive plan. That's for someone here today. And you know what I love? You read this book. Read it. I double dog dare you to read it. And what you will see is this. That's not the only time he did this. He continually picks people that you and I would never pick. Because he sees that his plan is perfect and he knows what his redemptive loving hand can do when a life is changed forever that should fire us all up because we're none of us none of us have somehow failed too far he says no my redemptive hand is still at work today that's just the way God does it so if you're here today and you feel like whatever you've done has disqualified you stop it because that's not what God says oh but listen the enemy of your soul that wants to ruin every productive plan that God might have for you will tell you you're unworthy. We'll tell you there's no hope. We'll tell you you'll never be able to turn the corner and see God's hand of favor on your life to be part of his redemptive plan moving forward. And so I thought it would be extremely important for us today to finish today doing something Jesus told us to do regularly. And so our ushers are going to come and they're going to help us today to hand out our communion elements. And what we will hold in our hand is to be a reminder of what we're talking about today. This incredible, powerful, wonderful, loving, heavenly Father who wants and is all about seeing redemption take place in your life and my life. And my concern today is this, that as you're getting these elements, you won't hear what I have to say to finish up. So please try and stay focused with me here for just a moment. Yeah, I know it can be a struggle. In doing what I've done, as long as I've done it, listen, I've heard so many stories, so many stories of people whose pasts have so overwhelmed them. And I've heard and seen it so many times where people have been crushed by their pasts. And it can be a struggle to allow the truth that we're redeemed, that we're forgiven to destroy us. And then, and then we live in this shameful or even this, this place of brokenness crushed in the, in the secret places of our hearts. And as we talked about before, those ghost images of our past they can be so debilitating, but in God's great mercy, he does not leave us there. 
While we always live with the memories of our past, we don't need to live in bondage to them. And I want to reframe this picture with you forever. Do you remember as we were talking about that art class just a few minutes ago and how when we try and erase, I want us to look at this differently. And if you've ever said yes to Jesus, you must see it this way. And if you've not said yes to Jesus, I'm gonna give you a chance to see your past differently today. Because once God gets a hold of it, remember what he said, gone is gone as far as the east is from the west. And if you've never understood God's redemptive heart today, you can. Your past, your sin, your regret, public or not, can be totally erased. And if you've already experienced this, please, you know the enemy's game. He wants to drag you back to that. And perhaps for whatever reason, you've been living crushed by the ghosts, ghost images of your past. Please hear me today. That is not the way God sees it. I want to show you this picture again. And I want you to see it differently now. If you could imagine whatever it is that's been part of your past. Those images erased by the redemptive hand of God. And I believe those images to him are as far as the east is from the west. To us, we still see the shadow, right? But from now on, starting in this moment when the enemy starts to work you over, that you are defined by your past, I want you to see this, frame it differently, that the masterpiece God's creating in you isn't that past, but rather it is redeemed. And here's what I want you to see that your past is actually a part of the picture. But it's not what's seen in you. It's not what's seen when you look at your past. Rather, you see so clearly. My past just helps me know, helps me understand the redemptive hand of God. And that's what we hold in our hands today, guys. A reminder of what God has done for us when his body was broken and his blood was shed. And he says, do this often. Why? Oh, because those shadows, those ghost lines, they become so clear if that's what we focus on instead of this. Will you bow your head? If you're here today and you've never made a decision to accept Christ as your savior, listen, you know what I'm talking about today because you've been trying to overcome your past on your own. Of course, you recognize and realize where you have, where you've made decisions that have led to all kinds of chaos. And there's been moments in your life where you could go back to right today. Maybe it's even in this moment where you have felt completely crushed by life. And some of it's even by your own decisions. And you realize that past is not pretty. What I want to tell you today is we serve an incredible God who came here because he loves you. And he came here because he wants you to have a redemption story too. And so he went to the cross, his body broken and his blood shed. And today that needs to be personal for you. And if you've never said yes to Jesus and you've been trying to deal with your past on your own, this is your chance. This is your moment. <clears throat> All he says to you is that what I did is a gift and you need to accept it. And if you're here today and you're ready to do that, would you just simply pray these prayers? Lord, I don't understand all of this. 
but I want a redemption story. And I thank you that you went to the cross for me, body broken, bloodshed. And today, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to help me to understand what it means to live at the foot of that cross, grateful, where my past doesn't define me, but you do. And that my future looks different because your power is at work in me. Help me to know what it means to live for you and help my story to make a difference for you. For the rest of us that are in this room, perhaps you made that decision years ago and you need to be reminded today, your past is your past. As far as the east is from the west, done, gone, over. God sees this as an opportunity for his redemptive story to be communicated so clearly. So today you be reminded as well of a body that was broken and blood that was shed for you. Will you take the bread? bowed let me just say to you today that Aaron's mistakes his public mistake was actually what ended up helping him be uniquely equipped and qualified to do what God was calling him to do and I would say today that the same is true for you and I I know that because this is his promise. You and me, you see, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Father, will you help us realize that we don't need to be ashamed of our pasts, as long as what is really seen in our eye and in the way we tell our story is your story. Oh, you are a good God. That somehow you would take our failures and you would give us a chance to see that redemptive story being used to give someone else hope that they could have a redemptive story too. Lord, help us to see that in those seasons of life where we have felt crushed the most, oh, God's right there in the middle of it. Remind us of that this week. We love you, Father. In your name we pray.